Coming to you live to tape, it is the Dubcast. After the game, I am merely Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter on the other end of this. As we do this thing from both parts of Ohio, the Northeast and the Central, I don't consider Cincinnati, even though you're from that region, because <laughs> I never saw anybody from Cincinnati in an Ohio State game in eight years covering Ohio State. I they don't, don't consider themselves Ohio either, so it's fine. Yeah, it's almost Kentucky, right? I mean, it kind yeah, of feels I mean, like Kentucky, is. Indiana. Yeah. yeah. Listen, let, we're not going to waste time on them. What we're going to waste time on, though, and spend a lot of great deal of time on is the game. And it was played for the 113th time at the Horseshoe in Columbus. And it was one of the great sporting events uh, that I've ever seen. And the, 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 what was involved in it, the lead up, the build up, the stakes, all of it, and the fact that the game delivered. So oftentimes the games don't deliver. Um, but now twice in 10 years, this game has in 2006. And I actually think this game was even a little better. Um, they re- it really did deliver. It was a game fitting of the greatest rivalry in all of sport. It had everything. We're going to go through a lot of these. There's like 10 different storylines I can take from this thing. Oh, yeah. That need to be discussed. And, and the aftermath. And then obviously, um, as, as we go through the, you know, the timeline of, of Ohio State over the over the time that followed, obviously, a, a harrowing experience on Monday. So we're going to try and put it all into perspective, and let's just start with the actual game itself. And what you get is you get number two against number three, and you get a Jim Harbaugh-led team, my friend, that for three quarters was the better team. Oh, yeah. And, and consistently shot itself in the foot uh, with <laughs> penalties. Uh, a couple of the calls I thought probably didn't go Michigan's way, especially the pass interference call on the third down where JT Barrett airmailed it. I thought that was a pretty poor call. Um, but they, they shot themselves in the foot. I mean, the, the pick six with Willie Cooker, the pick for Jerome Baker, the fumble at the two-yard line. Michigan put Ohio State in position to win this game, and then in the fourth quarter and eventually into overtime, Ohio State finally did. But this had everything, and as, as, we, as we go back to the beginning parts of this game and Michigan's dominance, I tweeted at one point, my friend, I don't know if Ohio State has 10 points in them when they were down 17-7. to I really didn't know if their offense could score 10 points in two quarters. Yeah, no, I, I didn't think they could. I didn't think they were getting any close to that. I mean, the, the way they had been playing on offense for basically the entire game up to that point, I, even, I mean, look, JT Barrett had a much better fourth quarter, but even then his, his passing statistics were, were complete garbage. Um, he wasn't helped out by his wide receivers, and that was probably one of the biggest things that I was afraid of. But yeah, man, it... it Reminded me a lot of my experience watching the 2005 game where I just spent basically the first three quarters kind of slouching further and further (laughs) into my chair and getting more and more depressed. And then for the last like maybe seven minutes, you're like, wait a minute, I'm still a human being, you can observe things and enjoy things. And then it completely turns itself around. It was ridiculous. Uh, The defense played amazingly well in the fourth quarter. I think Michigan had five yards in the last... Mm -hmm. Uh, quarter of play um, and regulation. So, I, you know, it was a really exciting game. I agree with you when you say it might have been better than 2006. 2006 was a huge celebration of football. It was amazing. It was great. But Ohio yeah. State played ahead that entire game. This was much yeah. more dramatic. And I genuinely oh, thought down. Ohio State was going to lose. <laughs> so totally yeah. changed my perspective on it. Oh, I, I think if you take a poll of, of people, uh, you know, in the it's middle of the third quarter, over it's 80 percent ohio state loses yeah I mean, they had absolutely. done nothing to lead you to believe that they would win the football game uh the the jt barrett situation is an interesting one you touched on a couple things that i wanted to touch on one was jt barrett number one i don't think he's played a great game at quarterback far from it but i think he played a great football game he's his guttiness his leadership 
his moxie, what he did in the in the fourth quarter in overtime, the way the way he was calm in the huddle, as even the coaches on his own offensive staff, including his head coach, seemed to be losing their minds. I mean, they were having like legitimate trouble getting the plays into him on time. And yeah. he's like, come on, come on, come on. Like he clearly was in control of his football team. And the quarterback was, not the coaches. Um, his steadying influence on this game, and I think I think that's kind of the the paradox of his season a little bit, is statistically it doesn't wow you. There were plenty of times this season. To me, that game was his season in a nutshell. There, there were plenty of times where he just flat out missed, where his mechanics were awful, especially his lower body mechanics. His feet weren't set, throwing the ball sidearm, all sorts of things, inaccurate, but yet gutty when he needed to be. And and great when he needed to be, and just you trusted him, like you just felt good. I mean, once they got into overtime, I I'm like, they got J, JT's going to be fine. Like he's going to yeah. make the plays, and he did. Um, so just a ton of credit to him in just being a winner. He's now three and zero in the game, my friend, and he's going to have a chance to go four and zero next year because he's not going pro. Right, it, dude puts in work. I mean, he had 30 carries yeah. in the game. I mean, like you have to respect that. And, and Crazy. The, you know, the game against Michigan is always going to be one of the most aggressively physical games that you're going to play as an Ohio State player. Um, to run the ball 30 times against that defense is is kind of insane. Uh, you yes. know, he got hit. What there were like eight sacks, I think, that he oh, took, yeah, like something stupid, and. It, he just kept getting up. He kept getting back into it. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, he had a, not a good game passing the ball, but you know, when you say that he was hanging in there and he was doing the things that you want to see a leader do, he was all of that and more. And I, I think he's just such a calming presence for the rest of the team. When you see a guy who may not be at the top of his game, but is just like, you know what, we're still going to pull through. We're going to get it done. Like that's the kind of person you want as your quarterback. Obviously you want to see him hit a few more of those balls uh, and, yeah. and really maybe identify, I think, uh, some of the the open guys downfield because he was missing a, a you know several of those I think especially early in the game but overall I mean I think he did really well at least from a mental standpoint and you know Spate I mean look his counterpart I think played really well given the circumstances I but, agree buddy what a gutty but, performance out of that kid yeah and that's what I'm saying like you if you've got a, an opponent right who was it was just playing their butt off. And granted, I don't think, obviously, Spate made a couple mistakes and, and was maybe not as sharp as I think Michigan fans thought it was going to be uh, mentally. Um, I think you need a gamer. I think you need a guy who is just going to get yards with his feet, who is going to hit dudes, because that's what you've got to counter when the you know opposing quarterback is kind of on his game. And, um, man, it was just it was an exciting game to watch because the things that had to happen for Ohio State to win, like the defense, for example, I really want to talk about the defense pulling the team dragging yeah. the team back into the game oh, uh, that was I, that was glorious for me i love good defense i love seeing an aggressive defense like that making a difference on the offensive side of the ball that was beautiful for me i love that absolutely love okay that. yeah let's go there because uh, as as the jt barrett michigan game was a microcosm for his whole season i think the michigan game defensively was as well yeah. Um, I thought Ra- Raquan McMillan played his best game at, during his junior year at Ohio State. I thought he was dominant. I mean, that, there was Ryan Shazier had a monster game against Michigan, a monster game. I remember it vividly. It seemed like he was everywhere. Um, I believe he was wearing number 50 um, for reason. I can't remember who it was for, but I believe he was wearing number 50 in the game for some reason. And he was flying. I just remember him. He had a long sleeve baggy shirt flying all over the field in the Michigan game. And that oh, is yeah. who uh that you remember that baggy shirt that's yeah I no i do that's the they, first thing that pops in my head 
Yeah, yeah. So I remember Ryan Shazier like that, and I know Spielman had a big game in the game, um, but that's what Raekwon, I think he had 16 tackles. He was just everywhere. Like every time you looked up, there was five. And yeah. then you looked at Jerome Baker, a kid who never really should have played because this was Dante Booker's time to be the guy. Right. And then Jerome Baker got in and kind of Wally pipped. You know, I mean, he was Lou Gehrig and, you know, to, to Dante Booker's Wally Pip because I don't know if Dante will play again in that position as long as Jerome's there because of how great he was the rest of that season. And then Malik Hooker, who frankly is, to me, was the best defensive player in the Big Ten this season. I didn't see anybody. Now, I didn't watch all the games. I won't pretend that I watched every game Desmond King played or um, every Michigan game, but I watched every Malik Hooker game and every snap, and I didn't see a kid. There was nobody that I saw that they came up against or as I casually watched the Big Ten that was better than him, and for him to get a pick six again for the third time this year in a critical moment, I mean, just a critical moment. Yeah. And not only that, he, he's, got this, he's got the stop on Devion Smith inside the three, and on the next play, Wilton Spate fumbles. If he doesn't stand up Devion Smith on the play before that, you're talking about a touchdown. Right. And Wilton Spate fumbled on the next play. Like, Malik Hooker was everywhere. Um, and, and so I, I think Luke Fickle... And to a lesser extent, Greg Schiano deserve a ton of credit for what they have got, what they got out of that offense, because that was a stunning, or out of that defense, that was a stunning performance from season beginning to season end, and it it was perfectly uh, came to play in the Michigan game where I thought they were splendid. Well, two things. So first of all, Michigan is a team that really throughout the year I think has relied on its rushing game to help set up the pass. Like they they really want to be able to get four or five, six yards on first down and just kind of eat yes. up the clock and get chunks of yardage that allows them to do some things with like Butt and some of the other guys. They got 91 yards of total rushing yep. on Saturday. That's yep. unbelievable. And the whole, like two point, I'm looking at the stats, 2.1 per carry. Like that's, that's yep. a hell of a job against a really like, you know, well-oiled offense, at least for most of the year for Michigan. Uh, the other thing I want to point out though, I mean, Ohio State's linebackers, I think as a unit, had an incredible day. I mean, it's not just McMillan Baker. Worley had 11 tackles. Um, They were just doing everything they possibly could to keep the game in front of them and to keep a guy like Jake Butt from like really, really exploiting them. I think the way some other uh, like large, um, you know, receivers and tight ends have maybe exploited Ohio State in the past. So they did a really, really good job at keeping the game in front of them. Uh, Hooker, I mean, obviously, you know, what he did was unbelievable. Uh, for him to to be, I think, as overlooked about the end of year awards as I think he's been. Although I don't really put too much stock in that kind of stuff, but the guy was everywhere. Another pick six. I, I just, again, I love watching games like that where it's everybody making contributions, and it's not like we're just hanging on by the you know the skin of our teeth. It's like somebody's going to step up, offense or defense, and just bring this team back into it. And that's exactly what happened. I think, personally, the game just totally turned on its ear uh, with Baker's interception. Um, I yeah. think after that, you see a re-energized Ohio State team. Because even then, you know, even with the the pick six, Ohio State still was not looking real good on offense. They were looking pretty anemic. And then, you know, it looked like maybe Michigan was getting some momentum, and then that killed it. And I, like, I knew who what a spark that would be. Um, and then obviously, you know, the, the thing, you know, tied and went into overtime. There was a, dr- there was a drama with the kicking with fight club, not making it, you yeah. know, goals for like the first time ever. I get called out by freezing cold takes on Twitter. Cause I said that Tyler Durbin would never miss a field goal again. <laughs> right. Puts me on blast, which I totally deserved. Um, it was just, it was bonkers, man. Like there were so many, it it's was. Like, that's what I used. So many things I used that on Twitter. I said, bonkers. It's bonkers. I mean, how yeah. did it even make sense of it all? 
as you go now, as we get into the overtimes and Ohio State forces the overtime, I was supremely confident when they confident when they forced the overtime that they would win in overtime. They just yeah. had all the momentum. Michigan looked like a wounded animal. And yet it comes down to two plays. Curtis Samuel on third down doing what you never do on third down when you're already in field goal position. And that is run around like a maniac. <laughs> yeah. Curtis Samuel, he, it was a Bo Jackson Tecmo Bowl run. And I saw it's already been made into a Tecmo Bowl play. And it's what it was. He just zigged and zagged and zigged and zagged and went across the field and across the field. And the whole time we're going, no, 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 no. Uh, well, uh, uh, and then <laughs> he picked up like enough yards to where fourth down was something that was manageable. Uh, but that run will be talked about forever because that run, without that run, you don't win the game. I believe that. Because yeah. I don't know what you call on fourth down to get the first down. You're obviously not going to kick it. Um, and and I'm just it, that that was that was nuts. That was completely nuts. And then the fourth down play when JT Barrett picked it up, unless you're from Michigan and he didn't pick it up. I will be very candid with you. I was watching it at Mary Arts, which is a bar in Lakewood, which is a huge Ohio State bar up here in Cleveland. I had an appearance with the radio station, and you couldn't move. I mean, it was you cannot believe the Buckeye fever in Cleveland. Like it's it's stunning how big Ohio State is up here. Yeah. And the bar slammed, and I—I'll be honest with you. When they when I first saw him go, I didn't think he got it. And certainly, when I heard that there was going to be a review, I said he didn't get it. He did not get it. Now there was nothing. Once I saw the replay, there was nothing on the replay that would that would lead you to overrule the original spot. And the original spot was a favorable one, and Ohio State got the first down, and we moved forward. But what ensued, and then Ohio State wins, of course, on the Curtis Samuel run. But what what followed after was this this subruder like takedown, frame by frame, <laughs> of if JT Barrett got this first down or not. And yeah. it's hilarious how, depending on what side you are on, the amount of email I have gotten on this is hilarious. Um, from people who like Michigan and people who like mostly Ohio State, obviously. Oh, he definitely got it. And then people, no, no, he didn't look at this angle. He clearly didn't. What was your initial thought? Did you think he got the first down? I thought he got it because I saw, I mean, I, you know, I saw when he had the ball, he was running up towards the, you know, the line of scrimmage and it was near his face. And I saw that his head was essentially over the line. And I was like, well, the ball's right by his face mask, then it must have gone over the line. And everything that I've seen since kind of indicates that. And so yeah, right. I kind of, I, I figured he got it. I thought he had it by a good like five or six inches. Um, it was probably a little closer than that, but really I wasn't, I Were you nervous sweating. when they reviewed it? No, because I, I understood why they reviewed it, because I, I believe that it was close, and of course you're going to have to review that spot, I mean, in, in that situation, in that kind of game. But I think where people were kind of freaked out is because when he hit that that guy's, you know, Alexander's butt, he just right. snapped back, right? Stopped. Like he had that, It looked yeah. like he had just been hit by a brick wall. And so I think people saw that and go, oh, well, there's no way you could have gotten it. But I don't know. From where I was sitting, I thought he pretty easily got the first down. Yeah. Um it looks weird because of what happened, but I, you know, I wasn't really too worried about it. And I knew that regardless, it's not like they had, you know, they didn't have a camera on Alexander's butt. You know, they, were, right. they weren't focused, <laughs> laser focused on that line. And if that's the only angles they had, then there's no way they can overturn that. Um, no, unless they yeah, really wanted to try to influence yeah. the outcome of a game that way. And I, there's no way a ref is going to want to put their head in the chopping block like that. So. No, no, no. It, and they got it. They got it right. And, and, and then on the very next play, Ohio State wins the game and the rest is history. Um, you get a mo you get a moment that will be, I mean, that photograph will, you'll see a lot of Curtis Samuel jumping <laughs> over uh, yeah. the way he jumped over uh, to score that touchdown. And really the only thing that I thought 
negatively about it was Ohio State's helmets. Like everything else I loved. I thought it was all yeah. it was everything you want in a rivalry game. I just thought that the helmets looked ridiculous. You gotta have and that synergy, really, man. LeBron gives the cleats, you gotta you gotta be, you know, you gotta be But why can't you wear a silver hat for crying out loud? Like I know. wear the cleats, fine, but right. in that game, my God, look the part. So especially with the uniforms about, they're wearing, right? Like Oh my God, those are my favorite Buckeye uniform. They're I my know. favorite uniforms in the history of sports. I mean I was praying they'd wear those. They did. And then they put those stupid black hats on them. And I just thought, now you don't look like Ohio State to me. Like, you know, come on, right. wear the silver hats. It's like, Especially, it's a one thing that he's done that I don't approve of. Yeah. And well, and look, it's the end of the year, right? Like you want to be able to see the helmet filled with Buckeye stickers. And, and like that's the that's coolest the point, thing. Right? That's the culmination of all the effort that you put in for the rest of the year. You want to see the proof of Johnny, you know, all the cool things that the team did over the how, course of the season. How twisted was it that the helmets helmet stickers were michigan helmets <laughs> i mean like michigan had their helmet stickers and the buckeye you didn't have buckeye yeah. leaves yeah. i'm sorry That's but great. in that game and and this is the other thing that that i wish i know that it's probably about recruiting and stuff but ohio state doesn't need to do that nonsense in recruiting alabama doesn't do it and they recruit better than anybody you don't need to do that crap certainly you don't need to do it in the michigan game that game, the photos and the video of that game will live on for a hundred years and they will look back and they will see black helmets. And that's a shame because <laughs> you, you should be instantly recognizable as a great Ohio national State shame. Be instantly recognizable when you play the game. That's my one beef. Um, all right. So now we get to post game and this is where it gets really fascinating for me. Somebody who's doing a daily radio show because I would have eaten this stuff alive um, and I would have adored it. So first thing that I see in the post game is um let me get the chronology of this right all right so the first thing i hear is um i see a quote that jim harbaugh uses the words bitterly disappointed and i just lit up i i was so happy (laughs) it reminded me how much i love him he's a delightful lunatic he's the perfect foil for ohio state the fact that he quoted Bo Schimbeckler from 1973 after his Michigan team was voted not to go to the Rose Bowl and instead Ohio State went and he used the words bitterly disappointed Um, and the fact that Harbaugh knew that and held it in his back pocket until 2016 to use in that press conference is why I love him and why we're set up for something so so special between these two programs over the next five or six years because this is a guy who uniquely gets the rivalry exactly. that is followed not five minutes later. I'm watching the, uh, the post game press conference, uh, on time Warner cable. And I see, uh, I see urban Meyer answer a cell phone. And here's, what's interesting about that. I went to every urban Meyer press conference for eight years and I never heard a cell phone ring once, not once. My guess is that urban Meyer's phone. I've been around urban Meyer in private life and I've never seen, I've never heard his cell phone ring. It's always on vibrate. So his cell phone rings, right? So Urban's cell phone rings. You've seen the video by now. Shelly is on the other end, and he says, she said, bring a gallon of milk. Since then, now immediately, I said he's trolling Harbaugh. Immediately. Like, he's sticking it to Harbaugh. That's clearly what he's doing. It's a playful, fun jab. It's beautiful. It's perfect. Since then, I've seen Shelly say, we don't take shots, and I heard... You know, I think it was Tim May, like got something that no, Urban didn't know anything. Or and Tim, I love Timmy, but he can spread the propaganda all he wants. Urban Meyer <laughs> doesn't do anything on accident, right? Urban Meyer does not do anything on accident, ever. And so, <laughs> I definitely think that he took that phone call on purpose. I definitely think that he wanted to get the milk line in. Um, 
maybe if it wasn't premeditated, it was something he thought of that would be funny in the moment. And it was, and it's beautiful. (laughs) And those two things that happened 10 minutes apart from one another uh, in live action makes me so happy about where we're headed in this game because it was, they were both perfect to me. Why? I mean, look, why do we have to pretend that these guys are somehow, you know, eunuchs who don't really, you know, have an opinion of each other one way or the other. You know what I mean? Like they're just, they're not emotional robots. They're allowed to dislike each other. They're allowed to take shots at each other. That's and they both respect the hell out of each other. Yeah. I don't understand why we, we have, like, I, I just think people want coaches to just, well, just stick to football. Like, no, they're allowed to have yeah. a rivalry. And I think that's part of what made the whole Woody both thing so great. Cause you've got like the, you know, you've got the master and the apprentice and all this other crap yeah. going on. And, and now you've got one insane human being uh, going yes. up against another insane human being, but they have different levels of insanity and different types of insanity. Like they should be allowed to revel in that. I think it's hilarious. Yes. I think it's like the ultimate, like yeah. odd, odd couple thing where you've got like Felix Unger and Oscar Madison, like trying to kill <laughs> each other, essentially. Um, I, I just, I, I want to see more of that. And I, I like the fact that I you can be a little bit of a turd after a win. Like you should be yes. allowed to. It's the biggest yes. rivalry in sports. Stick it to him. It is ridiculous that he drinks a gallon of milk every day. It's yeah. ridiculous that he's got milk at Ruth Chris Steakhouse. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so good. So stick it to him about a gallon of milk. Good. Right. I mean, it was all by design. It was all perfect, and they can deny it all they want. I don't really care. Um, it doesn't matter to me. I have that moment. I have a five-minute period where Jim Harbaugh is quoting Bo Schimbeckler word for word from 1973, and then I have Urban Meyer trolling with a gallon of milk, and I'll have it forever, and there's nothing that anybody in the Meyer family can say that will take it away from me. It was that good. Yeah, it was It was pretty fantastic. I, I mean – I, I didn't. I was in a state of shock after that game. Like I, I really did not believe that Ohio State was able to pull that off. Because I even remember thinking, like, when Curtis Samuel ran to the end zone, I was like, "All right, what's next? What do we got to do?" And I was like, "Wait a minute!" Right. <laughs> they oh. literally just won the game, and so a guy was standing next to me at this like, bar, and he goes, and I, I said, "Oh my God, they just won!" He's, he's like, "What? What? What?" And then the place went, you know, nuts. Yeah. And so it was like, but yeah, that's what you're right. It was almost a moment where you're like, "Wait a second, is it's over? That's it? Yeah. After all that." Yeah, I mean, it was, was it was brilliant in every way. Right. And so, you know, the stuff with Harvard, like, just keep it going, man. Like, I look, they're not going to the Big Ten championship game. So I don't want I need something to sustain me until the next yeah. time Ohio State plays. And I want more of this. Like, I, I just think, you know, it's fun when the rivalry is fun. It's fun when both teams are good. It's frankly, it's fun when Michigan is super pissed off about something that they can't do anything yes. about. So I, like, I want to keep that going. And I, I just think this year has been a very up and down season for Ohio state football in terms of like both entertainment, you know, ability, all that kind of stuff. There was definitely a huge lull in the middle of the season where it was like, okay, we're kind of just middling along here. But this was, in my opinion, the perfect way to close things out. I want to see a Michigan game with this kind of controversy and anger and irritation and like, you know, jabbing of the other side. I want to see that every single year. And if this is a preview for what the next like several years are going to be between urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh and Ohio State and Michigan, then I'm cool with that. I Because that's exactly the way this rivalry should be. It should not be a nice, like, casual no. beatdown every year. It should be something dramatic, and it should be kind of douchey, honestly. And I, I, Dude, I th- want more of that. Think about this. For the people who say they want Michigan to be 2-10 and 10 coming into the game, or 2-9, and yeah. nine or whatever the, whatever the math is, Le- LeBron James and the entire Cleveland Cavalier roster yeah. was on the field. 
Okay. They're not coming if Steven Threats at quarterback and Michigan right. has three wins going into the game. Right. They're coming when Michigan's legit. The NBA champions, the entire team was on the field <laughs> and watched the game from a press box. Yeah. It was that the was, highest I mean, that rated is, that was awesome. college football game of the year by a hundred miles. I mean, yeah. come on, it's different when they both matter. Yeah. That was that was fun as hell. And then watching them react to like the pick six and what I mean, come on. Like There isn't a single person in the world who, again, unless you're a Michigan fan, but just watching people react that way, watching the crowd lose their complete minds, like every single bit of them just like, just blah, like just vomiting onto the field. Like, I just, I love that. And that's something that I feel like, you know, has been missing from the rivalry for a long time, that, that feeling that dread in your stomach of, Oh God, we might actually lose this to the complete elation of winning the game. Like that, that has to be present for the, the rivalry to be good and to survive. Um, and I've said this before, I don't feel that when we play Illinois and we played Illinois a lot. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want that to be present every single year. Um, and again, you know, is Ohio state going to win every single one of those matchups? Probably not, but that doesn't mean that it's going to lose significance or it doesn't mean that I'm going to enjoy it any less. In fact, it's going to mean I'm going to enjoy that's it. More okay. I care. It's all right. If you win all the time, it's not a rivalry. You've right. got to, you know, win seven out of 10 and you're happy. I mean, yeah, it's really uh, easy for me to know. say that now. <laughs> right. Cause you've won so many, but I mean, yeah. this, I mean, you, you can see the big picture of it. Right. Um, so we get like this ultimate, uh, game on saturday sunday is hilarious because it's the back and forth and uh the social media on it was just crazy like i I mentioned with the jd jt barrett play with the zabruder film and you know people who i really respect and admire like john u bacon who still doesn't believe that jt barrett got the first down like he still doesn't (laughs) believe it and and i think it's great and and john u is a great guy and highly respected and we'll, we'll have him on the podcast and um he'll talk about michigan and it's great and he loves the rivalry and in his book uh third and long or uh fourth and long he actually uh, spent time with Ohio State. So, I mean, he's got a real good and real good feelings for Ohio State and, and is a solid dude. And he still doesn't think Ohio State got the first down. So there's this back and forth going on on Sunday. And then on Monday morning, I um, took my, I had to take my four and a half year old to school. And I made breakfast for my boys and um, was trying to, was getting him organized and stuff. And I, um, his class starts at like 1115. So it's like a midday to late afternoon class. He goes three days a week. And, um, I'm, I thought, well, I'll see, see if anything happened in the sports world. So I, I pop on Twitter and the first tweet I see is active shooter on Ohio state campus. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I saw the address and I realized that that's the parking lot that I parked in at every Ohio state parking garage that I parked in and the Tuttle garage is the one I parked in in every Ohio state home game for seven years. And, uh, I think about how many times I was in that vicinity and, um, was just the worst, the lowest of lows and terrifying. And I felt for so many of my friends down there. And, um, I, I felt, how do I explain this to my boys? I chose not to, cause I don't think they're old enough. Right. And I can't imagine what it was like for you, buddy, because, um, as an alumnus, as uh, somebody who continues to, to live in Columbus, who uh, frequents the campus often, who does what you do for a living, um, that had to be a startling, sobering, terrifying uh, moment on, 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 on Monday morning. Yeah, I mean, right. And I, there was a lot of thoughts going through my head. And the first, you know, the first thing, obviously, as a teacher is, you know, you're, you're going to tell the students what's going on. You're going to make sure that they're safe. Uh, our school went into lockdown for about an hour, but... Um, you know, now, we're, how, we're, how far are you roughly? 
from we're from we're fairly area. i mean i would say we're about two or three miles from campus so Okay. You know, it's it's kind of just standard operating procedure. You know, I just want to let them know that this wasn't like a full lockdown. We're not trying to barricade the the doors or anything like that. But it's just kind of a precautionary thing. We don't want people kind of wandering, you know, the hallways too much or going out, you know, going outside the building and whatever. But, um, you know, it it makes you think a lot about both the community of Ohio State. I mean, I got two degrees from there. Um, you know, I, I live still pretty close to campus. Uh. You know, obviously, I teach fairly close to campus. It it's incredibly sad for a number of reasons. Um, no student should ever feel that their safety is compromised because they want to learn, and and that's something that it doesn't matter whether you're an elementary school kid or a college kid. No one should ever feel unsafe because they want to learn, and that's something that always makes me incredibly sad when I see violence um, of any kind at any school because it's just it's it's not something that anybody should really have to think about when they're trying to further their education. Um, the other thing that makes me really sad is I know what kind of impact this will have on um, a lot of really vulnerable people in the Columbus community. Um, mm-hmm. Not just obviously like students who, who are just trying to go about, and that's inc- like, I, my heart goes out to everybody on Ohio state's campus because that's such a traumatic thing to have to deal with. Um, but also, like, you know, the community that the, the attacker was from, I mean, I, look, I know a lot of people from the Somali community. We brought in some refugees uh, to our school, actually, last year to talk to our students about their experiences. And, you know, one guy from Somalia walked like 40 miles uh, through the wilderness barefoot to try to get to the United States, to get to a position where he could come to this country because his family died around him. He was starving to death. Uh, people were chasing him and trying to kill him. Those are the types of people who are really like they're trying to improve their lives and get to this place. And it's unfortunate, I think, that, you know, the actions of one person will stigmatize an entire group. And I just I know there are good people who are in this community in Columbus who are here because they're trying to improve their lives for both themselves and their families. And they still need that opportunity. And I I just I really want people to understand that. The actions of one cannot reflect on every single other person. The person who did that act, that's the person who should be, you know, called out for that. That's the person who should be looked down upon for doing that. Not anybody else who might be, you know, associated with that person. So that's that's the other thing that I think about a lot. Um, but I think the, the overall thing that I, I take out of this that's kind of hopeful for me is, look, the Ohio State campus and the Ohio State community, it's bigger than the hometown that I come from, right? And I assume it's bigger than the hometown you come from as well, Bo, right? Oh like, there's, not, there's only two cities. There's only one city in Montana that's bigger than the amount of students that go to right. Ohio State. Right. So, so what I really love about Ohio State and the Ohio State community is that they have the resources to help people out. They will have people, you know, helping people out with the trauma. They have people who can, you know, bandage the wounds and, and treat the injured and, you know, communicate with other people to try to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen again. That's what a great university like Ohio State is capable of. And that's why I know that they'll be able to bounce back from that really easily because it's it's filled with a lot of really great people who are trying to help each other out. And that's why I went to Ohio State, in part because I knew the kind of community that, that place has. Um, and it really is, a, it's a city, man. It's a city that all loves each other. And I, I think they're going to take care of each other. And I'm I'm hopeful about that. That's that's what I'm absolutely positive of, um, is that they will make sure that that place you know bounces back and that everybody will be taken care of. The first responders in this were pretty incredible. Oh yeah, I, yeah, that was the other thing. Story that in in a minute, 
uh, you know, within a minute, it's basically over, you know, and there was a lot of chaos and nobody knew the information, but the reality was the threat was neutralized within a minute. Right. Um, And that's so amazing. Like I I love the fact that, you know, the alerts went out, people were informed, the great people at Ohio state, the first responders came in and took care of the situation immediately like that, man, how professional and how on the ball those guys were, they saved lives. And that is, those people cannot be praised enough for what they did. Yeah. You know, in, in general with these incidents, um, we just live in a, you know, as, as, as a society, I don't want to get, uh, I don't want to get too down this road, but, um, I was talking to my wife about, you know, with our boys, you know, how do we explain this stuff? Cause this will happen when they get older. And when you're, when you're a parent, you, you know, you view things very, very differently. And, and because you have to explain things to little faces, little innocent faces that don't, they're not exposed to this type of stuff and my boys aren't old enough that i had to but someday i will because this type of stuff isn't gonna isn't gonna be isn't gonna stop right Um, it's been going on for a long time it'll continue um so i'm gonna have to explain it to them and um i I said to her i said you know it's just a it's a we live in a very uh frustrated angry desensitized society right now i mean our country is very very angry and 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 it's uh it's desensitized, I think, to the horrors uh, we, because it, it comes so often. And I think the media is culpable in that because we see so much of it mm-hmm. and it's almost becomes commonplace. I used to think, you know, when I was in Columbus on television, I, you know, every day we would lead, you know, if somebody was killed, then we led with it. And right. it got to the point where you didn't even pay attention to the story. It was just, oh, somebody else was shot on the east side. Like, mm-hmm. okay, great. What's next? Uh, you know, I mean, that was truly how desensitized i think we've all become um and and it's it's a tough road to hoe going forward because there's a lot of healing and mending that has to take place i don't know if we'll ever our country's so unique because it's is such a melting pot i don't know if we'll ever we're we're never going to get to any sort of peaceful thing it's been like this for so long um but but it seems worse now you know the last 10 5 10 years or so it seems as bad as it's ever been and um and it's tough and to your point someone to go to a school, a college, or, you know, like up here in Shard, uh, Chardon, um, you know, I, that I can't, I, I mean, that's, that's crazy. Like that should be the safest place on earth. And right. when I dropped my oldest boy off at, at school at his little school and I, I hugged him, you know, a little extra hard and, and, um, and I thought, gosh, like, I mean, this can happen anywhere. I mean, this type of nonsense can happen anywhere. And it, the regularity of it is just frightening. And, and to your earlier point, um, you know, this time it was, uh, it was a Somali kid, but you know, it was in Denver, it it was a white kid. And, and so, you know, and so, I mean, this, to me, what, what, what color is or his religious, whatever, I I don't look, everybody does this stuff and it, it happens no matter how you were raised and, um, and it's a tough spot and it just hit way too close to home for me this week. I'm just thankful that, that, that it was dealt with so swiftly and I credit the, the first responders at Ohio state and, uh, who were able to get there so quickly and get it neutralized and, um, and, and before any more, any more harm was done. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing, I mean, cause I struggle with that too, like talking with my students about it. And I was like, look, things like this are going to happen. You know, like it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but we live in a world where these kind of things happen. And I told them like, you know, and this is how I really feel about it. At a certain point in your life, you have to make a decision about how you're going to treat people. And looking around your shoulder, you know, looking over your shoulder, looking around corners all the time, 
chasing ghosts, hoping that, you know, somebody who you talk to, somebody you don't know might hurt you. You can't live your life like that. Like, you have to be able to be strong enough to make the conscious decision that, you know what, I'm going to treat other people like human beings. And if there are consequences of that, that's okay, because at least I'm still a human, right? At least I'm still a person treating another person like they deserve to be treated. And it's a hard thing to say that in the face of, you know, violence. But I I just think for as a human being, as as a person, like you have to make that conscious choice to continue to treat people like they deserve to be treated. Um, And that's a hard thing to say to kids. It's a hard thing to say to teenagers. It's a hard thing to say to adults. But I think we all need to hear it. And and again, that's why I like Ohio State, because you've got a school of almost 60,000 people from all kinds of different backgrounds from all over the world. And they still have some common thread that kind of unites them. And that's, again, I talked about this last week. That's why I love the Michigan game so much, because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. You've got this common, like, humanity, this common Ohio Stateness to you that unites you. And I just, I would like to see that. I would like to see us express that, whether we're Ohio State alumni, Michigan alumni, it doesn't matter. If you're a human being, show another human being that you respect them and that you want to communicate with them on the same level that you would with anybody else. And that's, again, that's a conscious decision that we have to make every day of our lives, but we have to make it. Um, Because if we don't, then more stuff like this happens. So, you know, I just, I don't know, like you said, the first responders, um, you know, the way people reacted all, all across social media and all across the country, that gives me hope. That makes me feel a little better about it. Um, you know, I had a lot of people reaching out to me and just kind of mm-hmm. offering, like, you know, sorry, what happened? Like, I didn't do it. You know, it wasn't yeah, right. directly affecting me, but I appreciate that you're at least thinking about my city and, you know, about the school that I went to. So I, I appreciate that a lot. And I don't know. I, I think we'll be okay. I think Ohio State yeah. and Columbus will be able to handle it pretty well. Yeah. Thank God no one was, uh, no one was, was hurt any more than, uh, you know, other than the, uh, the assailant. And right. so that's the, everybody's going to be okay. And so that that's the, we're lucky in that sense. We're not Virginia tech. We're lucky in that sense. Right. Um, that, that it was able, it was handled the way that it does. Um, so tackling something, but I thought it was interesting. It was something you and I talked about before we did the podcast. And um, to me, what, what, what we try to do with this is give you a slice of, 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 of what is going on in, in, in the Ohio state world. Right. I mean, obviously it's football skewed. Mostly we'll do some basketball as obviously as the year goes along. Um, but, but that what happened Monday was a big part of it. And when I think back mm-hmm. on this Michigan, um, when I think about, think back about Michigan week, uh, first and foremost, I'm going to think about a classic game and I think about 110,000 people and those two coaches and those colors and all of the beauty that went into that. But I'll also remember what happened on Monday too. And, and I, so the, the goal, what we tried to do with this, you know, episode today, this week was to, you know, we wanted to try and put that into perspective and, um, hopefully you're able to, uh, enjoy is probably not the right word, but, um, appreciate a very unique few days, uh, on campus. Cause those things happened two days apart and that close to one another. Now, those yeah. of you familiar with the campus obviously know the proximity. So, um, pretty wild, uh, the way that it all went down, um, from, from that, to the uh, frivolity of ask us anything. It is probably that time in the program where we, where we get to the ask us anything. Um, We, the one thing from a next week's podcast, I I think we're going to do obviously we'll, we'll know Ohio state's end game. So next week podcast, we'll spend a lot of time on the end game, uh, the bowl. It'll be a playoff 
I mean, I think they're a lock at this point. They were second in the poll today. Michigan was fifth. I think there's an outside shot that Michigan gets in still. I think it, I don't even know if it's that outside. I think if Penn State wins a close game over Wisconsin, Colorado beats Washington, I think there's a really good chance that Ohio that Michigan joins Ohio State in that playoff. And I think the committee would love love Michigan playing Alabama at four o'clock and Ohio State playing Clemson at eight o'clock. I think they'd love that. And TV oh yeah, there's a definite that, possibility so. of that happening too. Yeah, I, I think that's re- very real. So next week on the podcast, we'll spend a lot of time on the matchup and the playoff and so forth. Uh, also want to uh, spend some time on five years of Urban Meyer. He was hired five years ago on Monday. And um, I want to kind of relive like that a little though, bit. Right? It does. It feels like two years. And I want to relive that a little bit because I took a bunch of heat when I was doing the radio show uh, for my uh, feelings towards Urban Meyer, as positive as they were. Uh, the line I used on the radio show was, "I." It, Urban Meyer coaching Ohio State is Don Draper selling Mercedes-Benz. It's that easy. <laughs> and that's kind of what it's been. And I took a lot of heat because there was a lot of Trestle loyalists and there was oh, yeah. a lot of people who didn't like Urban from 2007. Um, so we'll dig into that a little bit. And also Tom Herman at Texas. Um, this, to me, is a similar scenario. I think he is uh, that good. I think he will be Urban Meyer light, and it'll be the best the Longhorn program has been since the height of the Mac Brown era. I really think they're headed for that. I think he's going to dominate down there. Um, so we'll spend some time on those things next week, uh, but obviously a lot to get to this week with the game and then what transpired on Monday. And so with that, my friend, it is time for Ask Us Anything. Yeah, so if you guys want to send us uh, any more questions, we we uh, you know we weren't able to get to it last week, so we got a little bit of a backlog, but uh, send it to us uh, at dubcast at 11warriors.com or hit us up on Twitter at 11dubcast. Uh, let's start with Jason here. Uh, you may not have quite the same connection to this question that I do, but who is your most hated Michigan player of all time and why? Brian Gracie. Okay, why is that? I just felt like... Michigan had so many great quarterbacks when I was a kid, whether it was uh, Jim Harbaugh or Elvis Gerbach or even Tom Brady and Drew Henson, and he was the guy who got to pilot them to a national championship. Like Brian <laughs> Greasy was the guy. Like He always just seemed so smug, and the talent was so limited. And I just thought, like of all the guys that would lead Michigan to a national championship, that shouldn't be the guy. So yeah. Brian Greasy would be my guy. That's a good one. I Tim Biakabatuka pretty easily. Right. Um, <laughs> Nothing look, personal. I, he just. Yeah. And I was, I was 10 years old in 1995. So yeah. just kind of really becoming cognizant of how unfair the world really is. And <laughs> like, you know, one I, of the I mean, all time great teams. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was vaguely aware that, you know, Ohio state was a very good team and that Michigan was a very good team. And, yeah. you know, Ohio state's got a chance. And then just watching a dude just ram the ball down Ohio state's throats yeah. for an entire game. I was like, this is bull crap. Like that's, I think it's the first time I watched a sporting event and I was like, this is patently unfair. Like this is not right. And so I've just, heard, I've oh, heard good. players from, I've, I'm sorry, I did interrupt, but I, I thought, I, was, I thought you were done, but I, the, um, I've been, I did a story once with guys from the nineties, right? Yeah. And, uh, the, I'll never forget this. Um, they they use it as a verb, and they will say, "Oh, oh, you're the ones who got Biaka Batukad." <laughs> like, they, like they will use it, like, like the, you know, like that. Era, the, all that talent, all that talent that came through in the '90s, and they have that hanging over them. Yeah. And and I'll never forget the line. It was D. Miller who said it to a player who's on the '95 team, and he goes, "Oh, you all got Biaka Batukad." <laughs> you know, like, yeah. So that it's that's what he did. I mean, it's been so long, but yeah. Yeah, no, it was, I, I will not forget that feeling of disappointment and just helplessness as another player, like, you can't do anything about this. That's stupid. Um, 
All right, so let's go to Alvin's got one here. Uh, what team has been the biggest disappointment in college football this year? He offers up Sparty, Notre Dame, Oregon, TCU, or maybe somebody else. All of those, certainly. Uh, yeah. The most, probably, probably the most disappointing for me, though, would be Tennessee because, uh, you know, Butch Jones has been there a while. This was like his one year, I think, where he could, you know, beat Georgia before Kirby Smart got it rolling, beat Florida. And they just fell on their face. And yeah. he's got a lot of talent. It's a senior-laden team. Joshua Dobbs at quarterback. And they were pretty pretty awful, in fact. I mean, it's not like they were even, uh, you know, good. They were pretty bad. And um, and now I don't know if they'll ever get it on track. And um, it's a cool city. Knoxville's a really cool city. I love the stadium. I love Rocky Top. For some reason, I like their uniforms. Um, and, you know, they just couldn't. This was their one year. So this they, they were really disappointing to me. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I would agree with that if I wasn't convinced at the beginning of the year that they were going to blow it anyway. So that did not right. come you in. You almost know they did it. <laughs> right. Kind of saw that coming. Um, yeah. I would probably say personally, like Sparty, I, and not just because, you know, I expected them to be good in general, but I wanted to have a really top, not top to bottom, but just Big Ten five or six, like top 10 teams, essentially, like teams yeah. that can really challenge at any given you know week with any other team in the country. And I really thought that Michigan state was going to be part of that. Um, sure. And they, it just did not pan out at all. I mean, they, they've got some players, but man, like whatever happened, it just, it kind of fell apart for them this year. And yeah, well, you it, saw it you know, in the Penn state game, you know, in the second half, like they, yeah. were, they that was a battle for a half and then they just gave up. It was done. Right. So I can't, it's weird. I never thought they'd fall off a cliff like that with Dino. I thought he was too good of a coach for something like that. Yeah, they just don't, it just feels like they don't have, you know, the dogs this year. And it, it's weird because they've made do with maybe some players that weren't so awesome in past years and, and figured out ways to, to get them into good positions on the field. But this year, it just doesn't seem to be that way. And maybe, and look, and maybe Narduzzi is a bigger loss than maybe some people thought. But yeah, I don't know. So, uh, all right. So next one here, this is from Andrew. Um, let's see. How do you uh, personally attempt to explain the magnitude of the Ohio State-Michigan game to someone that isn't a college football or sports fan? Well, I, this is what I say every time somebody asks me, and I get this question all the time. And what I say is, is that if you grew up in the state of Michigan or you grew up in the state of Ohio at any point in the last 100 years, Ohio State football in the state of Ohio and Michigan football in the state of Michigan was the one thing you could count on. Right. If your job went away at the factory, if the Browns sucked or the Lions sucked or the Bengals sucked, um, or the Red Wings, or the Indians, or the Tigers, year in and year out, you could count on a winged helmet in maize and blue in Michigan and a scarlet and gray silver helmet with Buckeye leaves in Ohio. <laughs> and they're two like, there are two like institutions from two like states where football matters most in both, and both have there's a lot of hardships when it comes to the socioeconomical side of things. It was the one thing you could count on. So when people ask me, what is the big deal with the Ohio State-Michigan game? That is my standard operating procedure line, the one I just gave. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a perfect answer. I will I'll relate a quick story here. Um, you know, I've mentioned it several times in the dubcast, but I used to live in Japan. I lived in Japan for a year, and I still have a bunch of Japanese friends on Facebook. Um, and so I think like one other two years or whatever after I got back from Japan, uh, it was the weekend of the Michigan game, and I, I posted on Facebook, like, you know, screw Michigan, or I hate Michigan, or Michigan sucks, or something like that. And one of my Japanese friends posted, like, 
why, Johnny? Why do you hate Michigan? <laughs> and my response was, because it's there. And <laughs> they didn't understand what it was just like, the response was question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. And I just left it at that. Um, but I, I think part of it is, it, it's part of it really is inexplainable, right? It's, it's really tied into culture and sports and it's just something you kind of have to be a part of sometimes to, to fully appreciate. But I think your answer is also think, very good. I think at the um, very okay, least, so you have here, to be familiar from... with this part of the country. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really. You have to be familiar with this part of the country. Exactly right. Uh, Andrew's got a second one here. He says, do you guys have any sort of pet mid-major teams that you inexplicably pull for to do well, despite having no connection whatsoever to the school? And this could be for basketball or football, whatever. No connection to the school is the hard part. I mean, if yeah, and it's got to be a mid-major. It can't be another like big, big team. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously I, I pull for the, for the Montana teams cause it's where I'm from. Right. Um, you know, so in football, I also like Wyoming a little bit neighboring state, you know, they're at the D1 level. They got crazy. I mean, they're brown and yellow, but they have like this. I think they got a cool cowboy. And so Wyoming would probably be the one that I kind of pay attention to. Um, if you consider them a mid-major, I guess would probably be them. Yeah, I think I would go with that. I would say my personal, uh, I guess, pet team uh, would probably be Utah State. Um, I always pull for Yankees. Yeah, well, in part yeah. because of their songs and stuff. And I think, you know, if you've watched clips of their basketball games, their student section is insane. Like, they are yeah. completely insane. So I love the fact that you've got this <laughs> tiny little school who has just an enormous amount of school pride, and they do all kinds of crazy stunts and whatnot. Um, that one's really, like, Utah State is definitely really high up there. And I actually, believe it or not, I used to pull for the... Uh, for the Montana teams as well, in part because I just really, really liked their uniforms for a while back in the day. Right. Um, so that was a big thing with me. But I just I like the idea of small Western schools that don't have a lot of pull nationally and yet still have a really like, you know, fervent yeah. fan base. I just think that's really cool. I like that. Just I would say that, Well, I'd tell you, like, if you went to if I you could go to a university like Mon- the Montana, Montana State game is great. I mean, it's yeah, it's great. And um it's called the uh, the the Battle of the Wild, and they're um they, they but if I were to tell you to go to a game in Missoula, Montana, they have a stadium that seats about thirty thousand. It's fully slammed every game, totally sold out, right. and it's at the base of Hellgate Canyon. I mean, you can't teach that. I mean, it's I don't the, know. It's, it's, explain to me. The Hellgate stadium Canyon, is at the base amazing. of yeah. The stadium is at the base of Hellgate Canyon, and you're surrounded by the Rocky mountains and Missoula is just one of the great college towns in all of America. My brother went there. I was always insanely jealous that he did. And I wish I would have. Um, but it is, you would, as a, even as somebody who has experienced the shoe, you would enjoy yourself at a university of Montana football game. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, I, I just like that kind of passion. I mean, I went to a, I don't know. I went to a pretty small high school where the football right. team was just, straight garbage and there was you know i always really wanted the team to a be good and b for people to actually give a crap because i just thought the community would have been really fun to watch but in the meantime i'll have to sucker myself by um you know watching clips of utah state games on <laughs> youtube like i know the entire scotsman song by by heart and you know so that's great <laughs> it is, is it is great. what it is but I, I just you know i think it's fun all right so i think you know what, if I miss and ask us anything question, I want you guys to please remind me of it because, you know, we've, we've obviously had a pretty busy past week or so. So please go ahead and send those in. If I miss something, just remind me and I will definitely uh, get back to you guys next time. Uh, but for now, I think that's ask us anything for this week. 
All right, buddy. So next week we will do the playoff preview. Ohio State will be a part of the playoff. I would bet a very good bottle of bourbon on that. Uh, We will do five years of Urban Meyer. Where do we go from here? Uh, We'll take a quick look at Tom Herman's staff at Texas. Uh, Take a look at some potential early departures from the Ohio State football team from a team standpoint and also from a coaching standpoint. Uh, So we got a lot to get through over the course of the next couple of weeks uh, on the football front. But uh, this one was all about the game, and it was one of the greats of all time. It'll go down in history. So it was fun reliving it with you, my friend, and we will visit again next week. Absolutely. See you next week.